You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates, and happy September 8th, 2020. It's Tuesday, and the first day back from the Labor Day long weekend. I hope you guys had a wonderful weekend. And here we are today. You've probably had some time to digest some of the stats from August, and I am going to break that FOMO that you've been experiencing. I think there needs to be a true balance when we're looking at our market here in Toronto, and today is going to be that dark side of our market, the thing that balances us all back out as investors as we try and decide where we're going to invest our real dollars. So we're going to jump into some interesting topics to start off. Why is the condo market so exposed during COVID? What is it exactly that's kind of beating down on that segment? What has me, Bradley Watson from Watson Estates, most freaked out about the local market? These are the things that I'm watching for as we round into Q4 2020. And are the liberals the Canadian government about to propose unsustainable deficit levels this very month. Well, you're going to have to hang out and listen to this. Make sure you guys hit the subscribe button, hit that like button. We're going to continue to put out fantastic content. We're tracking the news. I, as an investor and a broker, want to know what's going on. And that's why we're doing this. If anything, for my clients, and we're having a whole lot of fun. We are the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And everyone, they like to run to their friends. They like to run to those as 2 Timothy 4.3. I'm a Bible thumper, so I like incorporating different aspects of my faith in here. And there, this passage says this. Listen to this, guys. Maybe you've never heard it or maybe you have. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. I'm guilty of this. We all are. We run to those that will say what we want them to say. And maybe you want people to say the market is good. If that's the case, you're going to want to tune out this podcast because often that is what I say. I'm very optimistic about our market, but I want to make sure that that FOMO is balanced out with a real perspective on the risks that surround our local Toronto real estate market. And I've come, I've seen a few comments, which has kind of stimulated me to want to say this. I had a comment from Jason and Nikki, Amanda, uh, and that was on YouTube. My wife and I own a condo looking to probably buy a detached house in the second quarter of 21, 2021. Your videos are very helpful. Keep up the great work. P.S. The FOMO is real. Also, Baseline, I love this comment. Baseline keeps me laughing. I'm developing FOMO and I own my place. <laughs> FOMO in the Toronto real estate market should exist, right? It's the product of decades of success. What do the people call, let's think of it like this. What do you call a phobia of a clown wielding a chainsaw running straight at you? Well, I call it common sense, but some people, they would choose to call it FOMO. <laughs> Don't want to miss out on that party. Should we be investing right now with um, because of FOMO? Like is FOMO the reason you should be investing your, ta- your dollars? No. Yet the irrational fear of moving stairs seems to be getting worse. You might say it's escalating. We're having some fun here. You know me, I like to keep it light. And you guys ready to jump into the condo market? I want to talk a little bit about this segment because it's been given a very bright spotlight. And this article that came out of ourwindsor.ca, it really highlights the main problems, the main reasons that the condo market has, a, if anything, buying opportunity. And you can look at this FOMO 
the beating up of FOMO in this podcast as saying, you know what, the market's going to collapse. Or you can look at it if you're optimistic from a perspective of maybe there's a buying opportunity in here and how am I going to time it? So here's what the article says. Toronto's towering condo buildings have become almost as synonymous with the city as its red and white TTC streetcars. But just as COVID-19 has touted every other aspect of our lives, has touched every aspect of our lives, there are signs that the city's climbing condo market hasn't been entirely immune. To be clear, prices are still rising and condos are still selling. They're just no longer leading the market, something that hasn't happened in recent memory. So apparently they don't remember just three years back, but that's what they're saying, right? Like this is, it seems like in the recent past, it's been condos have been shining, right? In this extraordinary pandemic summer, the average selling price of a resale condo in August was still 9.5% above the previous year and sales rose 10.9%, but new listings soared up 104.5% in the same month. This isn't a new trend. It's a new trend to people who are just kind of cluing into this, but we've been mapping this out for the last couple months. If you are listening to my podcast and you bought a condo last month, I don't know if you're even listening. (laughs) The time is coming. The time is coming, but you know I have not been saying to buy a condo, right? I can can say that. And then because the spring market has spilled over into summer this year, there's no way to do apples to apples comparison. It's such a great point. And where I want to jump over to John Pasalis' Twitter, he recently posted this. Year over year comparisons of sales and new listings are a bit misleading right now because it's like comparing this year's delayed, quote, spring market to last year's summer market. So if you were to compare April to August 2020 versus the 2019, the total number of condo listings are up only 8% over last year. So if you were to say like, okay, we're up 104%, if we're gonna kind of bring this to reality, recognize this is kind of like a spring-ish market. And if you if you compare it with the highs of last year, the spring, really we're only up 8%, not 104%. And, and I think it needs to be given a very real perspective. Of course, of course. And now when we talk to Treb, they're saying you would need to see a few months where listings growth was outstripping sales growth. Will we see that in the coming months? I believe so. I believe your sales to new listing ratio could keep coming down. But I also believe that with the speed it's dropping and the fear that's in the market of people to run from the condo segment, there is an opportunity in that. So why are people running? Why are they trembling at the idea of owning a condo in Toronto right now? Well, here is the the items that they provided in this article I think are great. Number one, is working from home. People are afraid to ride elevators and they want more space because they're working and sometimes schooling your children in small open plan apartments. And you know how you get over your fear of elevators, right? You take some steps to avoid them. (laughs) And so I think people are taking those steps and not in the way of using the steps in in the building, they're taking steps to move and to leave. And we can actually see this in the stats for an urban exodus. I love this, this publication that came from Realosophy Realty. When you look at Simcoe, and these are just looking at percentage change in home sales. Simcoe is up between 60 to 70%. We go into Dufferin, they're up between 50 to 60%. Durham up 30 to 40%. Halton up about 30%. York just over 20%. Peel under 20%. Toronto 10%. All of this to say, the closer you get to the main hub, which is Toronto, the less sales increase we experienced over the last month. Does that make sense? That was between June to August, actually. June, July, August. And that's a trend we're seeing. The further you're going, the more competition they are experiencing than they've had in, historically. In some cases, between 60 to 70%. 
Number two, another reason people are running from condos is students, right? If they expect to continue to work from home, commuting ceases to be a reason not to move further out of town. Students aren't going to class and they aren't renting near campus. So that immediately affects the rental, the rental space. Number three, immigration. And I love the way that they do the stats because we've been tracking permanent residents and they've dropped, as you know, 64% in the second quarter of this year. But listen to this. They were 83% fewer resettled refugees and protected persons entering the country during the same period. So although we had registrations of 64%, the number of people were 83% fewer. Pointing to this idea that even though you have people applying for permanent residency now doesn't mean we have more people coming in now. And we need to recognize immigration can be and will be a challenge that we're going to need to monitor for sure. Number four is short-term rentals. In addition to COVID, stepped-up short-term rental regulations are prompting some condo investors to sell off places they are renting to tourists. And this is obviously going to overflow into the long-term market. Short-term rentals accounted for 20% of the growth in resale condo listings this year. Did you know that? But they only represented 10% of the overall supply. Interesting stats and still a big player in the whole game here. And number five is completions. I've been getting a lot of questions about this. Like if we got a, a supply challenge, all these completions are a good thing. No, yes, in the long term they are. They add to that huge number of new condo completions this year and rents are down. That makes it increasingly difficult for condo investors to recoup their carrying costs. There's a lag time here on the completions, guys. So about 7,000 GTA condos were newly occupied in the first quarter of the year. Even with COVID delays, another 13. 1,500 were expected to be finished by next spring. And condo pro projects, if you're wondering, oh, they're having trouble selling. Well, they've easily pre-sold 70% of the pre-construction units. The whole idea of a condo is convenience and proximity to work and amenities. When there's no work, or at least not in the way we knew it, and there are no amenities, it's inevitably going to have an impact, but I think it will be short-term. That was a comment that came from condos.ca, Andrew Harold. My question is, is what do you think? Do you think this is short-term? Do you think this is something that's going to come back to the city? And I tend to agree, the city will be revitalized, it will come back. Might not look the exact same, but it'll look great. It'll still look like a Toronto we're going to want to see tomorrow. And then that's why I think there's a buying opportunity. But in the meantime, there's a lot of fear in the condo space that you need to leave. So although you think there's a fear of missing out in the market, in the condo space, have no doubt about it. There's a fear of staying. <laughs> if anything, the changing dynamics has tipped the scales somewhat in favor of buyers who now have room to negotiate on a condo. Maybe this is your chance. First time home buyers. According to Ian Serrata from Right at Home Realty, they say that some high-end condos are sitting on the rental market for at least five months. That puts us back since May. Puts us back since May. And so just to kind of jump here, I, I thought I saw another point here from this article I thought was great before we move, move along here. If you're losing 300 bucks a month, let's say as a rent, like a rental unit, because number six is rental unit. This fear of the rental space could overflow, right? It could pose a problem. Well, if you're losing 300 bucks a month, they say, let's say you're charging 2,400, now you're charging 2,100. The seller generally, right now, it seems like they're fine with the lower rent because it's a long-term investment. So this is what they say, quote, you'd have to be a pretty poor investor to have to sell a unit because you're getting $300 a month less. The other side of the coin is that you say, I can't afford 300 a month, and then you're going to get $30,000 less than you would have gotten back in February. So you're gonna dump that property and take tens of thousands of losses because you don't wanna suffer a 300 bucks a month? No, no, you're not. All right, but there's a big difference 
between Toronto and the GTA. It would seem it's just Toronto proper that has fallen asleep. We're having some kind of bad dreams while the rest of the GTA goes about its day. We're cold and scared. <laughs> We're looking up and we see this lamb hovering at the foot of our bed. And we lay there frozen in fear. 2020 is just us having sheep paralysis. <laughs> there are two condo markets, guys. There's a 40% of units that are downtown that have seen rent declines. And we've talked about this a ton. This is where your opportunities are, by the way. And the rest of the GTA has been virtually unchanged in rents. Rents are pretty much stable. Prices are actually trending up. And investors are looking at these as more valuable assets. So a lot of people are running to these segments. If you move from 3% to 2% in interest, right? And you lose 10% in rent, let's say, they offset. Also a valid point. Now you would argue in Toronto, we've experienced in some cases over 20% rent declines, but outside of Toronto, if you've got less than 10% declines with the interest rates we have, you're still ahead. You're still ahead. So moving forward, they say this, we knew four years ago, 2020 was a big year for condo deliveries because this didn't just happen. Yes, you're seeing all these condos coming on the market, but there's a delay. In some cases, three-year delay for things that were approved already by the city. And so don't be surprised if this is, we've got this influx and, and this is just the market cycle, guys. He said the company continues to launch new products, new projects, sorry, because Toronto's economic and lifestyle prospects are strong in the long term. And this is coming from Menke's Development, the executive vice president of a high-rise residential development, Jared Menke's. Menke's? Menke's. Monkeys. <laughs> So they're, they're optimistic. The developers are optimistic and that's why they're going to continue to plug supply because long-term we will need supply. But in the short term, absolutely don't feel like you're missing out and you need to jump in. With anything, when there's an increase in supply, prices will tend to take a little bit of a dip, he said. But I don't think that will be long-lasting dip. And I agree. I agree. I believe this is temporal. And there's two different competing philosophies of investment here. There's one, don't catch a falling knife. Don't catch it. Let it fall. Let it drop. And I'll see it on the other side. That was very much the attitude, if you remember, during COVID back in March and April. And then there's this other idea of buy low. Buy low. Don't worry about the falling knife. Buy it when you get a deal, when there's a deal. And that philosophy is going to work with you long term, right? If you buy low in the long term, you're going to win. Well, most people tend to follow the first one. They tend to avoid the falling knife. And the winners, I believe, will be the ones who buy low, which is going to be, if they're going to enter the condo space, very, very soon. On the flip side, don't shortchange your condo. Because some people will say, oh, you're a realtor and you just want people to buy, 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 buy. Well, no, I'm an investor, which is a buy, 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 buy and hold strategy. And I'm also, as a realtor, telling people, don't shortchange your property and sell it right now. Yes, I'd love to get the commission to sell your unit, but... Dumping it right now is a terrible idea. Give it a few months and let the freak out ease. The other benefit of doing that from a societal perspective is if we're not all just shedding all of our condos all over the market, I could have, cho I could have chosen a different word for that. We're, we're just, we're shedding. We're like a, we're a snake. We're just shedding all, all our condos, right? If we, if we agree, like we saw in the low rise segment, that we're not going to just dump our properties, which is obviously having, it's different. It's different. But we could see that balance of sales to new listings ratio equalize again and create that support that we need that isn't there right now. And I don't think we'll be there in the coming months. Unfortunately, we don't work that well in tandem. Okay, so we're going to change, we're going to change pace a little bit here. 
And um, I was gonna, I was gonna actually comment. I got a comment from Brian Jordan, kind of this idea of, and we kind of talked about it, the revitalization, right? There's so much more coming to the waterfront, and 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 uh, millions of square feet of office space being developed, and all of these things. But the counterpoint to that is recognize these have a time delay. And but another good point he had that I didn't talk about is this idea of commentators right now are very much saying flee right get away the city is over it's done just like in night uh in september of uh, 2011 september 11 <laughs> i love how i don't even know the years so it was 2001 that was september 11 2001 that was the year i'm pretty sure <laughs> or i'm an idiot and and people are saying you're not coming back to new york that's it that's it we're all running away we're not coming back uh no one's gonna want to be in the city anymore it's not worth it it's, it's too risky, right? But I believe that because of that, I think it's oversold. That's me. I think it creates a buying opportunity, but you can choose your investment dollars how you want. And if you don't want a condo, then forget it all happened in the first place, but it's, it's fascinating nonetheless. Okay. So what freaks me out? Because you can see the condo space, not a new topic. We've talked about this and we're going to continue to talk about this because I want to see when the opportunity is at its finest. And I think it's coming very soon, but not yet. It's up to you, man. If you were to buy a condo right now, interestingly enough, I still think you'd be ahead. I do. I think you could get a really good deal right now. And in this concept of buy low, I think you're doing great. So maybe it's not about timing the bottom. Anyways, what am I freaked out about, about the local market? Forget condos. I'm just talking the market. And there are risks that many people point to, but I'm not freaking out as much about the mortgage deferral. So I've got, like, I had a conversation going on our channel. One, one commentator said, I, you would think anyone who needs to sell their place would have two months ago if they're running on hard times. Who waits till the end of the deferral term to make a move? Very good point. Like, why would you wait? But then I also have other people, Globetrotter replied with a very valid comment. Yes, but some people are not prudent and financially smart. They try to postpone or delay the inevitable outcome, hoping to find a job or solution to support their current lifestyle. Such an interesting point, right? Like, is it legitimately something you could have avoided or are people just holding onto that home from the last minute and not as financially prudent as maybe we give them credit for? Are people smart or are they dumb? I don't know. <laughs> I think they're dumb. I, I do think they're dumb, but I, at the same time, some are smart, right? And a lot of these properties are owned by investors who are savvy. So these are the risks right now. And I actually, as I was going through this, as I was recording this podcast, I forgot to mention immigration, I think is something we need to be paying attention to. I don't know if it's a risk. I think it's actually an opportunity, but it's something we should be paying attention to. But these are the big three. I think I got three, one, two, three. These are the big three things that I could think of this morning as I was putting this together that freak me out the most. Da, da, da. <laughs> what freaks you out? Leave that in the comments below. Number one, the U.S. market. This morning, the NASDAQ, I was looking at it, it was pre-market opening, but they dropped, if you look over the last week, almost a thousand points. The NASDAQ being all these tech stocks that everyone thinks is just like the savior, and it really is the savior of the market in the US right now. Well, they're opening lower again today, and historically, September is the worst month for markets. We need to keep that in mind. Plus, there's an election coming soon, so there's a lot of volatility. And if you don't, don't go any further than an interview I did with Daniel Kwok, where he is among savvy investors in the U.S. talking about the fear that they have among the investor circles down there. Maybe go back and listen to that podcast if you really want a kind of eye-opener on what is happening statistically in the U.S. But the U.S., they remember, they messed this up in 2008. So why couldn't they strike again? Just when you're getting over your fear of ghosts, Trump comes in and he's like, that's the spirit. And we're like, ah, <laughs> uh, right? Number two, 
The other thing that I'm really paying attention to is the bad rental market spillover. This idea that the, the pain points that we're experiencing in the rental market could and will and probably already have in many ways translated into the pressures that we're experiencing specifically in the condo space, but it could go outside the condo space too. Things like rental evictions, right? That you're now open. And so you're going to kick those tenants out. And you're like, okay, to hell with investing. I'm going to want to leave. These are the small guys, by, by the way, the little guys wanting to run away. And short-term rental pressures will go up between now and January, of course, as you are now going to be required to register your short-term rental, which is going to push people who are doing it illegally, which I think is the vast majority, into the long-term rental market, more likely, but also potentially into the overall selling market, which would affect your price. And number three is COVID, right? COVID, such a big unknown. And a lot of these, other than the rental market, which I think is a little bit more tangible, they're very hard to predict because they're outside of our local market. And this is why they freak me out. These are why these are, from a local perspective, I believe personally, I believe our market is very, very strong. But from a global perspective, from a COVID perspective, Maybe not so much. We saw that today we had, actually this was two days ago, cbc.ca, this idea from our health ministry, as they call her health ministry, our chief health officer or whatever you call her, her, Tam, rising coronavirus case counts a cause for concern. The average number of cases reportedly daily rose by 40% in the past two weeks. I would expect that there's probably, it's probably a leading indicator of toilet paper sales. <laughs> Stock up guys, get that water, get that TP, start your small business, do the price gouging thing. This summer, Canadians by and large followed public health guidance. As a result, nationally, Canada has been able to keep COVID under management, manageable control, allowing us to carefully resume activities that are important to our social and economic well-being. But as we enter the fall, Canadians will need to be even more vigilant about following public health guidance, particularly as the cold weather shifts outdoors. We have seen 542 new, 545 new cases during the past week. The average daily count has increased by 40% in the same period. So there, if you haven't already, you probably know COVID cases are going up and people expect that there most likely will be a second wave in the fall. Me included. I, I honestly do. I'm going to be going to my Costco shop tomorrow. <laughs> I'll see you there. <laughs> so there, there is a, a very valid reason for concern among COVID. I think the bigger trigger here and how this will all spill over will be if there's further, further closures. The closures is the problem. In fact, we saw a new COVID case on Monday reported out of the Eaton Center. This time next year, I think, maybe, I think maybe two years from now, we're all going to be sitting back. We're going to be laughing about all the coronavirus fears of today. You know, well, not every one of us, of course. <laughs> <laughs> that's so gruesome what a terrible joke <laughs> I, I have one hot topic for us before we get into our, our, our last and final topic here from fool.ca and this idea of the COVID-19 response of the federal government has offset the impact of the coronavirus induced recession on family finances they say this Canadians had an income cushion that even pushed household savings rate to a record 28% the beautiful thing is even though we saw GDP drop annually by 38.7 during the quarter, we still saw a disposable income surge, right? We see people are now spending. We're kind of mapping that out as well. And people are saving money. Good job. Pay off those debt levels, guys. The personal debt levels, pay them off. I already know the people listening to my podcast probably are doing that. You're, you're probably quite savvy if you're here, but we really need to share this lesson with young folks who seem to be even more impacted by COVID and maybe are getting 2,000 bucks a month or maybe not. I don't know. I don't know, but we need, from a, a personal perspective, we need to balance our household balance sheets, right? To support consumer spending into the second half of 2020. This is the, the direct benefit. This is the benefit of CERB, which worked out 
handsomely. And this is the benefit of us having disposable income is spending will continue, I believe, into 2020. A great thing to keep in mind. Is COVID making the prime minister though? We're going to roll into our last topic here. And the new finance minister throw their hands in the air and just say, to hell with it, we're going to spend all the money. Or is it just kind of a speed bump to spending? Canada has an irrational fear of speed bumps, but we're, we're slowly getting over it. <laughs> Are the liberals about to propose an unsustainable deficit level this month? I believe yes. In fact, I, I think you're going to have some very fascinating news. This is very early on. The news is talking about it. But until we see it, I don't think we're going to realize what implications this is going to have because we really don't know. But all I know is we're probably going to be seeing unsustainable spending for quite some time. Let that be the lesson from today. So they say this, the federal government has no more than one or two years to rein in the hundreds of billions of dollars in deficit it is racking up through coronavirus spending or risk the debt being, quote, unsustainable. They talked about the parliamentary budget officer, Yves Giroux, and he said, speaking to the West Block, Mercedes Stevenson, about the federal government spending ahead of the throne speech on September 23, put that in your calendars, when PM Justin Trudeau has said he will pitch, quote, an ambitious new programs programs with an s more than one cha-ching it's without a doubt that we cannot afford deficits of over 300 billion for more than just a few years oh well we're already past that and when i say a few years i really mean a year or two beyond that it would be very unsustainable trudeau said in an interview with global news last week he plans to roll out a quote ambitious green agenda in the throne speech this is what we're going to see on the 23rd of september he said the country needs to focus on a green economic recovery to climb out from the effects of covid 19 pandemic and the worldwide economic shockwaves the virus created we are in a pickle here guys we are screwed we spent so much money we need to get ourselves that we need to climb out of this as a country let's spend more <laughs> But he has also touted the need for expanded employment supports, including new childcare and social spending. And there have been recent reports of plan to increase spending with CBC News citing one liberal insider as saying the government plans on spending, quote, on a scale we haven't seen before. $343 billion, you said? Meh. <laughs> it's going to go crazy, guys. I mean, we got to the point we just dropped the guy. He spent $343 billion. We drop him. And then we hire someone new. She's like, oh, fresh new slate. Here we go. It's kind of like how many days since you fired your finance minister and like like little company where you got the little, we're starting day one. <laughs> Here we go. Let's blow the budget, right? It contained no clues as to whether Canadians can expect tax increases or service cuts down the road to pay off the cost of deficit. Well, that's kind of how deficits work, <laughs> right? You're going to spend more money. You're going to pay for it either through inflation, which is an inflation tax, really, because it devalues your everybody's dollar or through physical taxing, which is going to have to happen. Someone's got to pay for it. What's concerning is the absence of a longer term plan, he said. That is concerning to me and to most people who are concerned about public finances. So here's my thinking on all of this. As we don't know what's going to happen, we just know money's going to be spent. In the short term, I believe this is great for real estate. Interest rates, it'll tell you, will have to stay low, right? They're going to need to stay low because if you're going to, let's say, add another $150 billion, whatever, like you're going to, you got to keep the interest low because that is the only reason they're able to, to do what they're doing and to spend in the way they're spending. Cause you know what? The costs are low anyways, but in, and inflation will continue, which is good for hard assets for real estate. That is a very good thing because the debt is going to get eroded and the dollar continues to go down. But long-term you better bet, especially those listening to my podcast, you're probably in the higher net worth category and you're going to pay for it. You will until people no longer want to pay for it. And then what do we got? <laughs> And I find this so hilarious. The, 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 the critics, 
the critics, right? Because we know the liberals, we know what they're doing. They're going to spend and spend and spend. Breaking, they're breaking history trends and we're just, we're going off the radar. We're going off the map. Well, we look at the conservatives, right? A finance critic, Pierre Poilevre. I wonder if he's from uh, Saskatoon. <laughs> that was a French joke. Is there French people in Saskatoon? That's, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> we know that the most important thing, and there probably is, and I just, now I just, I just lost five subscribers. We know that the most important thing is to protect our healthcare and our taxpayer by keeping our fiscal picture strong. You go, Pierre, right? And that's the conservative perspective. Well, what's the other side? Well, the NDP, if you think that the liberals aren't far enough left, the House leader, Peter Julian said he thinks the country's deficit can be managed if Canada were to build a, quote, fair tax system. This is, and what does that look like? Well, where, quote, everybody pays their fair share of taxes. What's wrong with the split now? It's already not fair, no? Like, is it not marginal? <laughs> or oh, what you mean is that the wealthy are going to pay more. Oh, got it. Got it. Oh, and how are we going to do that? Well, that means eliminating offshore tax havens putting in place a wealth tax. Oh, so the NDP are bringing on the wealth tax. NDP's out here suggesting a wealth tax. I guess it's it's true, right? Suicide bombers' biggest fear is to die alone. And the NDP's are like, my biggest fear is dying alone. That's why I drive a school bus. <laughs> very good, very good. That's That's definitely the strat. Let's do that. You might have enough money and you might have FOMO, right? You could be in a scenario with all the FOMO right now. And I hope I didn't freak you out because I'm still optimistic about our market. But you might have FOMO if you're on the other side here and you might have money. But that, let's recognize, is not enough. I have friends, I have family. They've had FOMO for over 25 years, never having invested in the market. But that doesn't mean they ever, even though they had FOMO, they never pulled the trigger. Maybe you have a fear of marriage. Do you know the symptoms of do you know the symptoms? No, I can't say I do. <laughs> we need to say I do at some point. Don't sit on the trigger. Don't just read Better Dwelling. Get a better sense of what's going on in the market as a whole. Yes, we were kind of beating down on some of the risks that exist in our marketplace. But guys, go back and listen to some of our other podcasts and get a better idea of all the things that we need to keep in mind before we make decisions. They need to be educated decisions as investors here in our local market. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. We're going to continue to come back and have lots of fun and learn what is going on in our market as we continue to analyze for me and my clients. We're having a whole lot of fun. Leave us a comment if you have anything specific you want us to talk about, and I'll see you next time. Take care and keep it real.